You're about to listen to another inspiring word from House on the Rock Church, the London Lighthouse. For more information and interaction with House on the Rock, please visit our website on hotr.org.uk. Open your Bibles. We're only reading one verse of Scripture to the book of John in chapter 10. John chapter 10 and verse 10. Amen. John chapter 10 and verse 10. Let's rise up for the reading of God's word in honor of the second person of the Trinity, the living word of God. Hallelujah. You know, um, preaching on Easter Sundays, some would assume that it is the easiest thing to do, but it often is not the easiest thing to do, preaching on Easter Sunday. Um, how many of you have watched a good movie? Anybody ever watched a good movie? Have you watched a good movie that was so good you were willing to watch it a second time? Any of you watched a movie maybe three times? Um, Four times? Most of us, no matter how good the movie is, now you know your pastor is a movie buff. Um, So, and as much as I'm a movie buff, I typically cannot watch a movie more than twice. Once I've watched it two times, it's, it's all right. I don't need to watch it again. Is anybody like me again, you know? I know there are some of you that you can watch it 15 times, but, <laughs> but there are some of us that cannot watch it that many times. So you can imagine that every Easter, the same story, hallelujah, yet it does not get old in the telling of it. Yet it does not get boring. Yeah, it's not like, oh, I've heard that before. Because this is more than a story. This is more than a blockbuster. This is more than something trending. This is life. If there's anybody grateful for his story, (laughs) go ahead and give God the praise. His story has become our story. John chapter 10 and verse 10, very popular portion of scripture. So a lot of time when I look at this story, I'm asking myself, what angle? Where do I come from to, to share this story once again? It's going to be simple. John chapter 10 and verse 10, in the New King James translation, it reads, The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. Can I read it to you in the Amplified translation? In the Amplified translation, it says, The thief cometh only in order to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have and enjoy life and have it in abundance to the full till it overflows. Hallelujah. The purpose of Satan is clear in our text. He comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. He never comes to add. He only comes to remove. He doesn't come to increase. He comes to decrease. He doesn't come to bless. He comes to curse. And as we are wont to do every Easter Sunday, our preoccupation is not on why the enemy came. Our preoccupation is on why our Lord Jesus came. Why did Jesus come? Ask your neighbor, why did Jesus come? Why did Jesus come? Well, our text clearly, Jesus states why he came. He said, I came that you might have life in abundance to the full till it 
overflows. This is the reason that I came. I think that Christianity has gotten a bad rap. Our gospel has been grossly misrepresented. Where people feel that Christianity is limiting you, it's caging you, it's depressing you, well, that devil is a liar. He didn't come to cramp, cramp your style. He came to enhance your style in him. Oh, God, Lord Jesus. He came to give you a new swag. He came to give you a new, a new strut in your walk. He came to bless you beyond belief. If there's anybody that believes what I'm saying, come on, give God the praise. Hallelujah. The simple subject of my exhortation is that you may have life that you might have life, that you might have life. Tell your neighbor he came that you might have life. <laughs> Father, take control, speak through me, in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated briefly in the presence of the Most High God, hallelujah. We're going to have a blessed time. Thank you so much for showing up in church, amen. Now, again, those of you that know me well, that follow me closely, you know that um, I... I can be very cerebral, I can be very theological, I can be very going deep. And I'm, I'm struggling not to go deep. Um, I'm tr struggling to try to make it simple and applicable. Because every time I look at the story of Easter, so to say, it is loaded with so, much, so many layers of truth. It's mind-boggling. So I'm going to start from a somewhat deep place, and then we'll, we'll get happy. Amen. What is life and death? What is life and death? James chapter 4 and verse 14, let's know, it, it describes life as a, a vapor that appears one moment and disappears the next moment. That's how James describes life. Well, what is life? We read in the book of Genesis in chapter 2 and verse 27 that God formed man of the dust of the ground, and he breathed into the nostrils of the man that he formed, the breath of life. And man became a living soul. All right? So this is the introduction of life. This is when man would first of all experience life. Now, in Genesis in chapter 1, verse 26 to 28, we learn about the creation of man. When God says, let us make man in our own image and in our own likeness. And he did that, okay? Now, the man that God created in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 and 28 was the spirit man. Because God is not flesh, God is spirit. And he said he was creating man in his image and his likeness. So what God created when he created man was spirit. You are first and foremost a spirit. Okay? Now, in, in Genesis in chapter 2, what we see God doing when he says he's formed man of the dust of the ground is that God was forming his body, his physicality. And then when he says that God breathed into him the breath of life, what he was doing was that he was breathing the spirit man that he had created into the physical body man that he had formed. Are you with me? And it was the interaction between the spirit and the body that resulted in the birth of the soul. He says that then man became what? A living soul. A living being. This was the the initiation of life, if you like, where the soul becomes the bridge between the spirit and the physical world. The soul becomes the arbiter between your spirit and your physical experience. Hallelujah. 
That's the way it was meant to work, where everything that's in the spirit was able to be expressed in the physical world through the soul. And in the beginning, it was perfect. There was no dichotomy in this flow. Okay. So this was our first introduction of life to life. This was our first understanding of life. So God created everything. He created the whole world before he created man. He created, planted the Garden of Eden, made it perfect before he put man inside the garden to tend and to keep it. And he said that you shall eat of every fruit. Feel free, eat of every fruit. But you should not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Genesis chapter 2 and verse 17. And he says that in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. So here we have the introduction of death. There had been no introduction of death prior to now. This is the first time that God will talk about death. And he says this concept of death was introduced on the instance of disobedience or sin. So we start to see that disobedience and sin is the instigator of death. Without disobedience and sin, there would have not been death. What is death? The day the, 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 we, 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 we typically would define death as the cessation of life, right? Um, but we see something different in Genesis. Because God said, the day you eat of this fruit, you shall surely die. But the day they ate of the fruit, they didn't die. But God is not a man that you should lie. So they died, but they didn't die. Because he's trying to get us to start to understand something about death. That death is not just the cessation of life. That death is something else. So I take a fish out of water, and it starts to splutter on the ground. It's not yet dead, but it is dying. Hello? It is dying. It might not die instantaneously, but it is dying progressively. Why? Because it has been separated from its, its source and its sustenance. So I take a plant out of the ground. I uproot it. It doesn't immediately shrivel up and die. But it is dead. It's dying. It's just a matter of time before it is finally dead. Do you hear because he has been, it has been separated from its source and its sustenance. I separate an animal from water and from the ground and its habitat. It might not die instantaneously, but it will die surely over the process of time. So God is trying to get us to start to see that death is not just about the cessation of life. Death is actually about separation. Separation from your source and your sustenance. So when God wants to create fish, he talks to the water to bring forth fish. When he wants to create animals, he talks to the earth to bring forth. You see, he talks to whoo, the source, the sustainers of the living thing he's about to create. Are you with me? He wants to create vegetation. He speaks to the earth to bring forth vegetation. That's, that's what Pastor Paul meant last week Sunday when he was saying that the earth wasn't really without form and void. That was just Moses' perspective of it. Because inside the earth was everything. It was just not seen yet. Somebody had to call it forth. Yeah. Hallelujah. Amen. So now when God wants to create man, 
God does not speak to the waters. He does not speak to the earth. He does not speak to the sky. God said, let us. <laughs> let us make man in our own image and in our own likeness. God spoke to himself. Therefore, the source and the sustenance of man is God. If the source of fish is the, is the, is, is the waters, and if um, fish is separated, separated from the waters, it will die, and the source of vegetation is the earth, and if vegetation is separated from the earth, it will die, what we need to understand, therefore, is that whenever man is separated from its source and sustenance, which is God, it will die. There are a lot of dead men walking. Oh, Lord. They're walking around looking cool and dandy. They know how to dress up, how to look nice, how to uh, spray on the nice perfume, but they are dead men walking because they've been separated from their source and their sustenance. What separates you from your source and your sustenance, uh, your sustenance as a man? It, it is sin. It is disobedience. This is what happened. This is how come the original man fell. He was separated because of his disobedience, because of his sin. He was separated. So sin introduced death, where we now define death as separation between God and man. And so we start to understand, after the fall of man in Genesis in chapter 3, from then on, the rest of the Bible is all about how God is going to reconcile man back unto himself. It's all about the redemption plan. But he cannot effect this redemption plan without the sin problem being dealt with. Because the sin problem is what caused the separation in the first place. So we see throughout the Bible, particularly in the Old Testament, man after man coming to try to remedy the situation. But the man, man could not remedy the situation by himself. You see, the thing about sin is that sin is evidence demanding a verdict. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is what? Is death. And the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The wages of sin is death. So sin demands death. It demands death. And then our predicament gets a bit worse because the scripture allows us to know that after the first man, the first progenitor, uh, sinned and fell, then everything that came from his loins, which is all of mankind, was born into the same um, disadvantage or the same sin. Um, David put it this way in the book of Psalms in chapter 51 and verse 5. He said, for behold, before I was brought forth, behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin my mother conceived me. Now, some theologians will tell you that this is very specific to David, and I will say, yes, I agree. It is very specific to David because what they say here is that David was actually born outside of wedlock. So, and it's part of the reason that his father, when the prophet came to the house, didn't remember to call David to the house because he was the one that the father was ashamed of. He didn't deny that he was his son, but he kept him at a distance. Yeah? But yet it is, whoo, yet is it, it is that one that they rejected. It's that one that they put aside that God said, that's the one I've chosen. Don't, don't, don't cry about rejection. 
It's actually just an appointment. Ooh, it's not rejection, it is selection. <laughs> Hallelujah. So it was speak, David was speaking about himself, but even though he was speaking about himself, it still has application to every human being upon the face of the earth. Hallelujah. We are born, in, in, brought forth in iniquity, in sin. The, the, the very nature of sin, the sin nature, comes with every human being. Who teaches a child to lie? Instinctively. The, the small boy ate the cookie. Did you eat the cookie? With crumbs all over his face. No, no, I didn't eat the cookie. <laughs> Hallelujah. There are three types of sin. Three basic sins that man deals with. Number one is the original sin. The original sin is the sin that Adam committed at the beginning. Then we have ancestral sin, which is the sin of the fathers. That in, somehow gets passed down in generations. Did you find it very interesting how Abraham lied that Sarah was his um, sister instead of his wife? And then in a few years, or a number of years later, Isaac comes and tells the same lie. Same lie. What's going on? A lot of things go through natural lineage, ancestral sin. And even if you say, well, I, I'm not part of the original sin, neither do I have ancestral sin. There's a third category, personal sin. The one you did yourself. <laughs> and the wages of sin is what? Is death. And because of the understanding of this, when you study the, the Jews and the Bible, you see that a temporary, temporary reprieves were found for sin by the sacrifice of animals in the place of the sinner. This was seen throughout the Old Testament, and this was trying to teach us something. These sacrifices were temporary and could not truly reconcile man to God because no matter how clean the animal looked on the outside, it was still an imperfect sacrifice. Yeah? So God sought for a man to stand in the gap to pay the price, and none was found. None was found. As great as Abraham was, he couldn't be the sacrifice. In fact, when you read certain things in the book of Revelations, when it talks about uh, who would open the scroll, who would unlock this, who would unlock that, and none was found. And there was only one that qualified to do it. His name is Jesus. God said, when no man could find, God said, okay, I'm going to go myself. Hallelujah. So he came that we might have life and have it in abundance. Uh, but he, he could not achieve giving us life in abundance until he dealt with the sin problem. Hallelujah. Does anybody like extreme sports here? Anybody? Has anybody done skydiving? Anybody skydiving? All right. Anybody done uh, bungee jumping here? You know, they told me that those of us of this um, skin color, we tend to not like those kind of things. <laughs> we tend to not like those kind of things. Hallelujah. But I, I know there are always exceptions to the, to the rule. Amen. You, you know, I don't know whether you have gone to, well, most of you must have gone to an am amusement parks before, right? Yeah. And I, I go to amusement parks you know, every once in a while, every once in a long while, all right? And typically when I'm there, I just love watching 
these people climbing all of these, these things, you know, going up, going down, and I'm like, what's wrong with these people, you know? And then every once in a while, you know, after I've been walking around, watching other people getting into all these contraptions on and again, I start to feel odd that I'm the only one not getting into anything here. Would they think I'm strange? So finally, I look for one that looks like it is it's all right. You know, you know, there's this one that seems to go, it just swings, it just swings. I, I mean, how bad can that be? It just, it just swings to this side, and then it swings to that. Are we all right? So, I get into it. <laughs> and it starts to swing. Oh, yeah, I'm cool. And then I'm like, okay, when will this swinging stop? Then all of a sudden, the, the, the rate of the swing and the height of the swing starts to get a little bit concerning. <laughs> I, I, has anybody been that kind of ride before? Then it swings all the way, and it looks like it's going to go over. And then in my head, I'm saying, who sent me? Who sent me? What am I doing? I, I, I was okay just watching. Why did I have to get into this thing? <laughs> Pastor Chris said it's peer pressure. <laughs> and I can tell the way you are laughing, you've been where I am. <laughs> but there are some natural human reactions. But you know what we are really afraid of when these things are happening? There's one guy I follow on, on Instagram. He's a good guy. I love the content and the information that he drops. He too went for bungee jumping somewhere. And <laughs> when he was done with the bungee jumping... He said he has never appreciated life the way he now appreciates life. <laughs> because when you are going through it, you are not sure you're going to live. So, the fear is the fear of death. If this thing breaks, what's going to happen? I'm going to die. It's the fear of death. And some people think that, and this is a very common fear, the average or a man has the fear of death. Even the most staunch atheist is still afraid of dying, even though he says there's no God. On his deathbed, he's scared. Why is he afraid? Because the, the, the fear of death is not the fear of the pain of death. Some people thought it was the pain of death. No, no, it's not really the pain of death. What the fear of death, the real fear of death is what comes after death. What if everything they've been telling us happens after death is true? Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 27 says that it is appointed for man once to die, and after this what? Judgment. So the fear of death is actually the fear of the judgment that comes after death because of sin. And because just God is a just God, he cannot leave sin unjudged. For sin not to be judged would be God, for God not to be just. So God has the dilemma of his justice and his mercy and not being able to deny himself. We instinctively are afraid of death because of the judgment that follows death and also uh, because instinctively we know that if, our, if we are to be judged, nobody will pass. Even all of the people that are thinking that, okay, I'm doing so much good. 
and have this idea that when they get to judgment seat, there will be some form of scale where they are putting your good deeds and their, your bad deeds, and then your good deeds are more than your bad seeds, you pass. No, it doesn't work that way. It says one sin is as bad as all of them. To pass, you would have to be perfect. Woo, glory to God. I could say, say so much, but go so much deeper. But like I told you, I, want to, I don't want to go deep. I want to get to where I'm going to. To deal with the same problem, therefore, God had to become us. Had to become us. So we read in the book of Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 to 19. Let this mind be you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking on the form of a bond servant and the, coming in the likeness of man and being, being in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every other name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those things in heaven and on the earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So... To redeem us, he had to become us. Because you can only redeem that which you are kin to. That's why he's a high priest that is not untouched by the feelings of our infirmities, because he went through our experience. And so he can identify with us. You cannot redeem what you do not identify with. Seek to identify first. So immortality, put on mortality. Invincibility, Put on visibility. Divinity put on humanity. He left the glory of heaven to be born in a lowly manger so that he could be us. But the real objective was not just to live as a man, but to die as a man. And not just any kind of death. He could not die of old age. He could not die of poison. He could not die of any other means. There was a very specific death he had to die to be able to redeem man. Oh, God, help me today. Hallelujah. Uh, he said that he was obedient to death, not just any death, but the death of the cross. Why is this so significant? In, Genesis, in Galatians chapter 3, verse 13 and 14, it says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. What is the curse of the law? The curse of the law is that the law sets standards that you can never fulfill. So it tells you to, to, to touch the roof, knowing that there's nothing you can do. Know how you can jump high enough to touch this roof. Is anybody hearing me what I'm saying? So it sets standards you can't. Dude, now listen to what it says in that Galatians chapter 3 and verse 13. It says, God has redeemed us, redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. Woo, hallelujah. That the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Jesus, Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Okay, so why did he have to die on a cross? The, the law is this. No curse can be legitimate without a cause. There has to be a cause, otherwise the curse cannot come. It is illegitimate. The scripture says it. Now, Jesus did nothing that warranted him being cursed. 
So a curse could not come to Jesus. However, there was a law, a principle, that anyone that hangeth on a tree, anyone that is crucified, is cursed. The reason he had to die on the, 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 the cross was there was no other way he could be cursed. Because it wasn't his actions or his deeds or his misdeeds that attracted the curse. It was, I have to be up, uh, upon the tree. He that hangeth upon the tree shall be cursed. If he had died in his sleep, if he had died of old age, it would not have redeemed us from the curse because he would have died without being cursed. He had to take on our curse. He had to take on our sin. So he, he died on, on the cross to take our place. Oh God, my goodness, all that we would grasp what this means. He didn't come to live. He came to die. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 14 to 15. In as much then as children, children are partakers of flesh and blood, and he himself likewise shared in the same, talking about Jesus, that through death, he would destroy him who has the power of death, that is the devil, and release those who through fear of death were in all their lifetimes subject to bondage. So he came to deliver us from the fear of death. What is the fear of death? I told you earlier. The fear of death is the judgment that follows it. It's not really the death. So now he deals with the judgment that follows it by dying in our place. By fulfilling the requirements of the judgment of sin. Hallelujah. Sin separates. Sin causes death. On the cross, as he became our sin, listen to him crying. My father, my father, why have thou forsaken me? Why? All of the time Jesus had been work, walking, he always had a sense of, my father is with me. But then on the cross, when he became sin, boom, that connection was cut. He had a sense of, wow, I'm on my own now. The separation because he was becoming us. He died our death so that we would be able to live his life. Oh, God, help me. Help me, help me, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. He did it to destroy him that has the power of death and to deliver us from the bondage to the fear of death. So we read in Romans chapter 2 and verse 4. It says, And do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? Now, it, it, a number of us have been able to use, we are legalists, we know how to use the law well. We've used the law and therefore the fear of judgment to lead you to salvation, which is all right. In fact, if we are to be honest, there are a lot of us that the reason we got saved was we heard the nice fiery preaching about hell and judgment. And we were scared because of the fear of death and what follows death. And therefore, we said we would surrender our lives to Christ Jesus. But then we've grown to understand, according to this scripture, that is actually the goodness of God. Because fear can only sustain you for so long. You behaved yourself because of fear of getting punished, right? But then they got, they, you got to a place where the enticement of the wrongdoing was so good that 
what's worse, they will, they will punish me. They will, <laughs> uh, maybe, I'll, maybe I'll get some paddles or whatever. I'm going to do this thing. Because fear can only sustain you for so long. He said it's actually the goodness of God that leads men to repentance. Appreciating what he has done. Appreciating the price that he has paid. Appreciating that he took your place. Hallelujah. What really changes a man is an appreciation of the goodness of God. This goodness is seen in, is seen in his gift. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Because he died and has defeated death, we no longer have to be afraid of death. Because he has paid the price. We are no longer going to hell after death, but to heaven. Not because of our own righteousness, but because of his righteousness that he has imputed to us. So like Pastor Paul said last week Sunday, like I've said at multiple other times, nobody is going to death actually because of their sins anymore. Or hell, rather because of their sins anymore. The only reason anybody is going to hell now is because of rejecting the provision that has been made. You know, I, people misrepresent this gospel and make it seem like it is so exclusive and not inclusive. It is both. It is inclusive because the price was paid for everyone. It was paid for everyone. It's ex exclusive in that you need to accept it. Hallelujah. He paid it. Nobody's going to hell because of their personal sin anymore. They're going because they haven't accepted the provision, the goodness of God on their behalf. You see, because someone had to die for, for, for our sin. Jesus died for our sins. Prior to his coming, the Jews understood this. That's why they had sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice. Even Abel in the beginning understood this. So when he was told to bring an offering to God, what did he do? He slaughtered an animal, a sacrifice. He knew that there is no remission of sin without the shedding of blood, Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 22. Someone had to die. A life had to be given for our lives. He had to die. And thank God that he did. He agreed to die and he died on our behalf. Somebody give God the praise that he died on your behalf. He died my death so that I could live his life. He paid in full, totally, once and for all. Praise God in this place. Hallelujah. Why did he have to die? Let me tell you another reason why he had to die. Because in the book of Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 16 and 17, we read, For where there is a testament, there is, must of also of necessity be the death of the testator. For a testament is in force after men are dead, since that it has no power at all while the testator lives. What's he talking about? Um, my, my, my parents are in, 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 their, in their 70s, going on their, their 80s now, and they, they sometimes will trigger uncomfortable conversations with myself and my siblings. So I said, okay, when we are gone? I said, gone? Gone where? When? I, please, 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 please. We, you, are, you are going to live many more years. We're not ready for your going anywhere now. They say, eh, but let us have this conversation. Do you understand what I'm talking about? And then they will, they will sometimes talk to me about the will, that they have a will and all of that. Now, I, I tell you that to let you know that as, as powerful as their will is, whatever their will is right now, it is, is not of any effect. It is not of any effect while they are alive. It's just, it's just a document. Has no force, no power while they are alive. 
This is what he's talking about when he says that as long as the testator lives, his testament, which is his will, does not come into play. It is only after the testator's death that the will comes into play, that comes into force. This is why Jesus had to die, because his will could not come into effect until he died. He had to die. And you see, this is where the enemy got it all wrong because he didn't know that he was playing right into Jesus' hands, right into the plan of God. He did not know. If the princes of this world had not known, they would not have crucified the, the prince of glory. They did not know. They thought they were the ones being victorious. Little did they know that they were sealing their own fate. As they were killing him, they were freeing us. Hallelujah. God was working all things together for our good in the midst of it all. And can I, can I take a sidestep and preach to you that if they, had, if, they, if they had known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. And can I bring it home to you that if they had known, they would not have come against you. If they had known, they would not have attacked you. If they had known, they would not have said everything that they said against your life and your destiny. If they had known who's backing you, if they had known who died in your place, they would have realized that to touch you was to court disaster. If they had known. Hallelujah. So this is why he died. And it's very interesting that even the timing of his death was critical. Do you know that the timing of his death was at Passover? And what happens at Passover? Passover is the time when the high priest takes the, the sacrifice for sin and presents it. He couldn't die at any other time. When you look at the whole story, it's so perfect. So many layers of truth. While he, while he was dying on the cross, it was actually a perfect substitution at the perfect time to free us that you may have life. That you may have life. Hallelujah. So perfect. I preach about the, the shedding of his blood, how impactful that, that was. So powerful, time forbids. Now we understand why he died, and there's much more to why he died, but time forbids. Why did he rise? On Friday, he died. Sunday morning, he is risen. Woo! Hallelujah. Satan killed him. It wasn't really Satan, it was our sin. Killed him. So, uh, you know, we like saying this statement, I say it too. Nobody me killed Jesus. <laughs> Hallelujah. We actually all did. Because what killed him was sin, our sin. Present, past, future. Hallelujah. Had him buried. On the third day, he busts the grave and hell and hate. He snatched the keys of life and death away from, from Satan. And he came back from the dead. Why did he rise? Paul says that if there was no resurrection of the dead, then we of all people are most miserable. Because that means we just, everything ends here. There's not, nothing beyond here. He rose again for you and for me. It wasn't just for bragging rights. I'm the only one that has risen from the dead. No, no, no. 
he, he rose again. Why did he rise again? Listen to Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 25. He says, therefore, he also, he also is able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him. Since he always lives to do what? To make intercession for the saints. The word intercession there, you know, we are all spiritual. We, we only think about in the, into the, in the light of prayer. But I want you to realize that intercession is actually a legal term. Intercession is to stand in the gap. Is to stand in the gap. So when he says he always lives to make intercession, it means he always lives to stand in the gap between you and deserved judgment. Intercession. Oh, Lord Jesus. No, I know, I know, I know. It says that Jesus on the cross said, it is finished. He said, it is finished. He has fully paid the price. He didn't say that he is finished. He said, it is finished. He is not finished. He's still walking in you and me. And he's still walking that he ever liveth to make intercession, to stand in the gap for the saints. Let me tell you also why it's a legal term. Because, you know, a, a billionaire dies and he, he has a will and the children and the relatives start to fight over the will, and they tie it up in court for years. Everybody fighting over the will. He wasn't in the right mind. He didn't mean that. He didn't know the will. But the guy is dead, so he's not allowed to tell you what he actually meant. But not my Jesus. He said that he rose from there. This is why he had to rise. He had to rise so that he can back up his will. Uh, so that when the enemy comes to start to debate, that when he said he by his stripes you are healed, he didn't really mean that, he meant something else. He ever liveth to make intercession. I said what I meant, I meant what I said. You are going to be the head and not the tail, above and not beneath. Oh yes, he's ever liveth to intercede, to say in heaven what he has already done on earth. Ever liveth to make intercession, to stand in the gap. To back up his will. This is why he rose from the dead. He rose from the dead so that you and I would also be able to rise from the dead. Hallelujah. He came that we might have life. He lived, he died, he rose again so that there would now therefore be no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. It's time for you to walk out from under condemnation because he is risen. He didn't just rise for himself, he rose for you and for me to totally set us free that we may have life. Now note, it's not just any kind of life he's talking about here. He's actually Actually talking about the God kind of life. He's talking about supernatural life. He didn't just come to give you a natural life. He came to give you supernatural life. You were estranged from God, but now you've been reconciled back unto God through Christ Jesus. For he who knew no sin became sin, that we who knew no righteousness might become the righteousness of God. He's given us superior life. He's given us creation life. Hallelujah. That you may live. It's time for you to stop limiting yourself to just your natural life and realize that he has paid the price for a supernatural life for you. It is only accessed by faith. If you believe me what I'm saying, come and show yeah! 
Hallelujah. So this Sunday morning, we are actually here to rejoice in our God. We are actually here to give him all the praise, to give him all the honor. We are actually here to behold the miracle of his life, his death, and his resurrection, and its import upon us. Hallelujah. And can I prophesy and decree and declare over somebody's life that as a reason of this revelation, as a reason of this illumination, you are walking out of every grave. Every grave the enemy has tried to keep you in, you are walking out because the price has been paid. You've been living a limited life prior to now. I decree and declare you are moving away from just enough and you're stepping into more than enough in the mighty name of Jesus. It's abundant lifetime. He came that we might have life and have it in abundance to the full till it overflows. I'm prophesying overflow. I know they're talking about a casting down. Well, I've heard the sound of the abundance of rain and I declare that there's going to be an overflow in your life in the name of Jesus if you believe it come on give God the praise I need you to step out of your natural and step into the supernatural step into the spiritual I know you are looking at all of your natural situation all of your natural challenges all of your natural lack all of your natural obstacles all of your natural weakness I came to tell you this Sunday morning you are no longer just natural you are seated with Christ in heavenly places far above oh my goodness he died in our place but when he came back up he didn't rise up alone uh, spiritually he rose up with you and with me and so we are now seated with him in heavenly places far above all power all principality all dominion that both now is and is to come uh, so get out of the natural and get into the spiritual this Sunday morning and give him the praise Somebody's going to praise God into their deliverance. Somebody's going to praise God into their freedom. Somebody's going to praise God into their new job, their new house, their new relationship. Somebody's going to praise God into divine purpose and assignment and glorious destiny. Is it you I'm talking about? Is it you I'm talking about? It is you, if it is you I'm talking about, come on, give God the praise. Hallelujah. We came to bless the Lord this Sunday morning. We came to lift his name up. Hallelujah. We came to extol him, exalt him. We came to set him apart. We came with a fresh appreciation of the finished work of Christ. Go ahead and give him the praise. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I said hallelujah. We're going to give God five minutes of unadulterated praise and thanksgiving. You heard the special song that was led earlier. He's alive. He's not dead. He ever liveth to make intercession for the saints. He's interceding for me. He's interceding for you. He's backing up his will. So we give him the praise. Somebody go ahead and give him the praise. Hallelujah. We hope you've enjoyed this uplifting sermon from House on the Rock Church, the London Lighthouse. 
We hope you've been informed and inspired. Join us for services every Wednesday and Sunday. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook at HOTR London. Also, live stream our services on YouTube at HOTR London. For more information, visit our website on hotr.org.uk.